Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Goldner, and with me, as always, it is Ryan Whitledge. Ryan, what's up, dude? Not much, not much. I'm I'm alive. I survived the festivities of last night. So, uh, uh, and here we are. Here, here we here we are indeed. We did survive the festivities, and also someone who survived the festivities is Evan McCarthy, our guest. He's a New Orleans-based artist by way of Portland, and just an all-around solid dude. You can find his work, including stencil art, large and small prints of NBA players and other pop culture figures, at evanm.com. Also, be sure to check out his top drops. It's like a mystery pack of four four by six prints that can include like Cliff Robinson and Dame and other people. Also has special colorways that you can't otherwise get on the site. Those are 30 bucks a piece. I'm doing all the advertising for you, Evan. Here you are, and there's Fat Man in the background. Evan, what is up? Here I am, Fat Man is here. I'm, you know, feeling good, all things considered. But late night, these uh, playoff games, when they're played in the West Coast in New Orleans, they get they go late. So, uh, you know, I'm feeling a little bit from last night. Oh, yeah, because New Orleans is Eastern time, right? No. Because when no. I... No. <laughs> Central time. When I schedule... Eastern time would be brutal. Yeah, that's... I When I, <laughs> when I tried to schedule the podcast, I... I forgot what time zones were. So anyway, sorry about uh, the mix up there. But yeah, if only you could look it up online somehow. If only uh, the other thing too, like the 730 game Pacific is extra late during the playoffs when it's like they have to bump them back for the game before. And, oh, no, no, no. Boxing Not, matches. Yeah, boxing. That was bullshit. That was a bullshit move that ESPN pulled with that. Bumping it for boxing. Boxing sucks. Like, come fight me, uh, hypothetically, about... Oh. Bo- it's, it's not even a sport. Come on. That's not a sport. <laughs> hey, I'm just yeah. going to punch you in the face as much as I possibly can. I It is a sport. There's a lot of talent with boxing. I'm kind of kidding. I just... I don't like it. Also, yeah, that is a bullshit move. I was going to say, Dame loves boxing, so uh, uh, watch out there. Don't piss him off. It's a great workout. And it's, you know, I mean, I, I make fun of a lot of sports. I make fun of baseball. I make fun of boxing. Um, I used to make fun of soccer and still until I started playing it a little bit. Now I actually have a deeper appreciation of the most popular sport in the world. Um, but Ryan, I feel like you might have some questions as an icebreaker of sorts. And not that we don't know each other because we obviously do. But this this is true. But there's one one man and one man only in which I feel as though these Venn diagrams overlap as much as they do for me. And so uh, I actually titled this as Ryan has a few challenging questions for Evan, which I'm curious if he can guess where this is going. But I want to start this off. Number one question for you, Evan. What is the bigger backstab? Bananas? Stealing the cash oh. or Ashley stealing the cash? That is a great question. Um, it's probably Ashley because, well, it's tough because Bananas laid the groundwork to do that move on the challenge. And if people don't know, we're talking about MTV's The Challenge, which is my favorite show of all time. It's fantastic. Bana- Wait, bananas what? laid the groundwork, but also... It was expected. Bananas is basically like a producer for that show. He knows what's good TV, so it's not shocking that he did it. Um, that's wait, a good wait, 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 wait. Uh, what the hell are you guys talking about? Can have you give you me a 30-second synopsis of the show that you're describing? Because I have no there, idea what it is. It, it is, uh, to quote Bill Simmons, it is the fifth American professional sport. Uh, it is literally, do you remember the old like real-world road rules challenge from back in the day? Yeah, yeah. This is now just called The Challenge, except they take people from all walks of reality television now, which I'm not a big fan of, especially them bringing the Brits in. That's uh, That kind of throws me through a loop. But They bring but, yeah. in people from the Great British Bake Off, or what's going on? 
close. But yeah, it's I mean, just trash reality shows. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I like have Big ex- Brother, like Survivor, like exactly. Yeah, okay. Survivor, Big Brother. Okay. X on the beach, like Greatest all this crazy race, stuff. Or... Yeah. But in regards to the the backstabbing, so there were a few seasons where they get to the end, and it's a big cash prize. We're talking five hundred thousand, a million dollars, like a lot of money. And there's yeah. been a couple of seasons where it's partners that get to the end. And basically, if you win, whoever has like the best time or whatever from the final challenge, they can decide to take all the money or split it with their partner. So there have been twice where people have been like, I'm actually going to take all the money and my partner gets nothing. Where we're talking once it was 500000 once it was a million dollars. So, yeah. yeah. Makes, good, makes for good TV. It, it, it does. Uh, and and then this leads me to my next question. Somebody who thinks he makes for good TV, how the hell do you feel about Fessy? I mean, that he has to be the most annoying, one of the most annoying characters I've ever seen on there. Yeah, I mean, if we were to equate him to like an NBA player, I'm trying to think. He's just he's very cocky for a dude that's never won, and he acts like he's won. I don't know, like Dwight Howard before he won with the Lakers, maybe. Like, so we're talking about Chris Paul then, right now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Fessy's more arrogant than Chris Paul. Um, I mean, I feel like Chris Paul has proven more in his given sport than Fessy has done in his. Like, Fessy, Fessy is, uh, for those who don't know, a competitor who used to be like a NFL or almost made the NFL, like a legit athlete. Yeah. And uh, he carries himself like he's one of the best people to do this TV show. And he's like literally never won anything. And it's really annoying. He's, he is very annoying. Yeah, and and then on top of it, he wears weird turtlenecks with uh, t- with extremely tight pants, and it makes you feel uncomfortable when he it crosses his legs. It's all sorts of all sorts of bad. So he, uh, he's and, the dude in high school who was like super popular, and now is writing his popularity, even though he's like deep into his thirties and like uh, still talking about what he did, like on that one Saturday fifteen years ago. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. He he will never let you forget that he played Division One college football and almost made it to the NFL. Yes, he's that guy. And I, uh, everyone on the show can see through his bullshit. They all, they're all like, this guy's fucking douche. So they all know it. It was and fan- the viewer knows that he's the only one who, he's just so un, like, not self aware. It's incredible. Yeah, which is great too, because you can also tell he's the type of person that reads all the comments. So I'm just imagining him sitting in his apartment, just stewing over the fact that everybody's making absolute fun of him and just roasting him. Oh, yeah. All right, Brandon. Now we can get to basketball. Now, now we can get to something you know about. No, I appreciated the primer on the. Ch- Actually, you know what reminds me? Um, about a year ago, I was listening to the No Dunks podcast. You know, previously the starters, um, Skeets, Taz, Trey, and Lee Ellis, um, and they were talking about this little show called Survivor, which I had heard of and I had never watched it before. And they started this segment talking about it like every week and that's what got me and cassie into watching survivor and since that time i mean a pandemic happened uh we have watched every single episode of all 40 seasons of survivor which is a lot of television i gotta tell you and so hey maybe this will be maybe we like the blazers will be the no dunks for somebody else for what's it called the challenge the Don't challenge, yep. Yeah. You never know. There's been a few people from Survivor on the challenge, by the way. So you would like, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but if you've watched them all recently, if I could, you could probably be like, oh, I remember that person. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder who they are. Okay. Maybe I'll have to scope it out. Um, yeah. I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you on Twitter. Okay. Good stuff. Um, okay. Let's talk about basketball. There was a game yesterday, guys. The Blazers 
They beat the Nuggets 123 to 109. They take a 1 0 series lead in the first round of the playoffs. I have a lot of thoughts about this. I am pretty excited about it, but let's just start with like before we dig into specifics. Like, just give me what's kind of your your summary slash takeaway slash like the the hit or the feeling that you are left with after having watched that game. Uh Let's start with Ryan. Like, what's your kind of summary slash takeaway from that game? Well, we obviously need to fire Stotts because he screwed up timeouts, oh, right? 100%. That's, that's what I, no, no. Uh, I actually do want to talk about that timeout thing, but um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was a promising start. It's kind of one of those things where the Blazers, the narrative changed leading or all leading up to the game. Uh, they went from obviously being an underdog just because of their seed to now to, to being favored. I mean, ESPN had that, you know, their famous 50-50 nine and nine split uh, with all their analysts uh, between who was picking Blazers. And then final money ended up coming in, put and Blazers as as the Vegas favorite. So in that regard, like while I'm thrilled that they were able to go in there on the road and and steal game one or or take game one, at this point in time, I'm 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 more along the lines of that it's expected. And so they did what was expected. And the game plan that I had built up in my head that I wanted to see is exactly what they pulled off. So there there's not a lot of shock and surprise. I'm just kind of like, all right, great. The plan is working. Well, let me, let's do this. I'm doing this kind of on the fly uh, before I give it to Evan to answer the same question. If you had like a, an excitement O meter and it went from zero to a hundred, where would you fall on the excitement O meter after that first game? Again, zero being not excited, not encouraged and a hundred being like, Oh my God, I can't believe it. Like, where would you fall on that scale? Give me like a mid to low seventies. Okay. Hey, that's actually pretty good. That's like a that's a passing grade. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because again, it's 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 the first round. You're you're expected to win, and it's kind of like I I do agree with the okay. This is a year to show that you can do more than just you know win a game in the first round of the playoffs. So I'm not going to get over my skis per se by winning a game in the first round of the playoffs. I think that's fair. Uh, okay, Evan, to you, like, what's your takeaway? Things that stuck out to you from this game slash where would you be on that zero to one hundred excitometer after game one? Yeah, I mean, so similar to Ryan, like, I honestly am not shocked by the result of last night. Um, leading up the week, leading up, it's nice that we had a full week before the playoffs started, so able to consume so much NBA stuff. Um, oh yeah, just looking, it, it it just fell perfectly for us in regards to unfortunately Jamal Murray's hurt. Um, so because of injuries, when you look on paper, the matchups, it's, um, they just don't have guards that can stop our three guards even and I know we'll get into it, but our three guards didn't even play that well and we still handled them. Um, it's just an ideal matchup. So I, you know, I predicted blazers in six, but after last night, I'd, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if it was blazers in five, if we continue the one thing, and I'm, I know we're going to get into it. The one thing that makes me nervous is, um, how open the players and everyone were last night to full on say our game plan. Like this is exactly what we're trying to do. And we did it last night. I mean, you know, obviously Denver and their coaching staff is going to be able to figure that out without us explicitly saying it, but it was, you know, after game one, just so openly coming out and saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want to do. We did it. Um, you know, obviously we can expect to see adjustments made by Denver, but um, in, in regards to the excitometer, it was a fun fucking game. Um, I would say in the eighties, uh, again, but I wasn't shocked by the result. I, I wasn't shocked by the result, but also as Blazer fans, we know that we can't just expect them to win games that they should win. 
which is frustrating. Yeah. But the past few weeks, the last few weeks of the season, I mean, maybe that's changing. I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to, I, I kind of agree with both of you, but also I'm just going to put like a, like a Brandon veneer on it. And I'm just going to say that I'm encouraged by this. Honestly, like they didn't play perfectly, right? There's room to get better. And Evan, to your point, like Damon, CJ, and particularly Powell didn't have like great games. And despite that, Despite being at elevation, and by the way, there's a whole side discussion about how long it takes for your body to actually acclimate. To I being, hate that narrative. Stop. Oh, my gosh. It Every weeks. year somebody plays in Denver, they act like it's the first time we've ever heard about altitude being a thing. Well, the th- I mean, the data does show that being at altitude gives you a disproportionately larger home court advantage. It's not like super, super strong, but it's, it, it's there. It's noticeable. But the oh. point is, like, despite them not the Blazers not playing perfectly they still won on the road by double digits it's a long series I think it's a good start like and I I think I do want to dig into what you said Evan about the fact that everyone was so open about what the plan was on the Blazers end which was what exactly yeah so the plan was to and I I agree with it totally is to not double Jokic yep and make Jokic be you so I mean so I, I looked at some stats in regards to that when Murray went down the final 23 games of the season minus the the last game of the season where he played them, where they benched their guys, um, either Jokic or Michael Porter Jr. was the leading scorer for the Nuggets. No one else for 23 straight games. So, like, you know that you need to stop those two dudes. Um, and I totally agree with what Nurkic said in regards to we don't want to double him because he's best when he gets other people involved and passes the ball. And the Blazers are going to score 115 to 120 a game. Between Jokic and Porter, they're not going to average 60 apiece. Let them score. Let them score. Like, don't encourage, don't let him pass the ball out of the post or at the top of the key and get other guys involved and get them confident. Just don't do that. Like, let him, let him score. It's fine. I mean, put up resistance, but like, don't be discouraged if he scores 40 points in a game. Right. And so, well, let me, uh, so I think Ryan, you're muted. If you, uh, if you didn't know, oh, yeah, um, see little light that tells you, it did tell me actually, uh, really quick, my excitometer, I'm going to go with 84 year. I was born also again, like it, it's, it, there's room for improvement. It wasn't perfect. They still won by double digits. And also like I had, I had, my heart told me the blazers would win in five. And so ultimately I said, okay, I'm just going to pick blazers in five. And after this first game, blazers in five looks, um, like it is a possibility, not necessarily like it's gonna happen or whatever but like it looks like it's possible i I have i have money on that because the odds were just so fantastic i was looking at the oregon lottery scoreboard app uh uh yesterday at noon and i think it was like plus plus 750 or plus 850 for blazers in five so i'm like ah sure that can get a few shekels i i wait a minute okay you gotta help me here like i don't understand gambling what does that mean the plus like if i if you put down uh, like what does it mean just explain it to me like i'm five because i am on the plus odds for that, so it's like in this case, I, I hate when people like speak in the hundreds or whatnot. But say I put a dollar down on the Blazers to win in five, okay. that that plus seven fifty would mean basically mean I'm winning seven dollars and fifty cents. That's really good odds. Oh, but but it, they have to win by exactly five. It couldn't yes. be in six or a sweep. It have to be in five games. Yes, okay, that would be it. that's betting on the five. But there okay. is I did I did lay another bet for just Blazers straight out to win the series. But at that point in time, they were they were favored for that. So it and I think it was it was I got it at minus one thirty five. Which in that case, that would be like you have to bet a dollar thirty five to win a dollar. Okay. I yeah, hey, your Blazers in five thing is actually looking pretty good. I mean, if you 
this is about how it would look if they do win in five games. Um, I wanted to get to Evan's point, though. Uh, pick at this a little bit more about how everybody knows the plan is, which is to limit Jokic. Jokic only had one assist, which is his playoff low. That's not going to happen again, right? He's going to get more than one assist in every other game, like almost guaranteed. Here's my question, and this is to, to anybody, really, and I, I don't know what the answer is. If you're Denver and you know that the Blazers want to limit Jokic's passing, how could they counter this? I mean, they can't magically infuse their players with extra talent juice, right? Which would be, the point is that Jokic doesn't have a whole lot of targets to pass to is kind of the problem, right? So if you're Denver and you know exactly what Portland wants to do, then how would you try to crack that? Well, if they knew what Denver wanted to do going into game one, everybody on the planet knew that that was the game plan of don't of basically don't double Jokic, don't, you know, and I think it, you, you know, and I actually both said that on Twitter at various times, too. Before yeah, like, yeah. Other and us and every other media member. So if Denver was somehow sh- if Denver was somehow shocked and surprised that the Blazers came out and played that way and that's how they played Jokic, uh, that's fully on Malone for being a dipshit. Well, that's the thing, though, is like, oh, Oh, yeah. He, yeah. That was rep- such a dick move. A reporter called him Mike in the post game, and he corrected the reporter, say it's actually Michael. It's like... It was uh, mid-game. It was during the game. It was mid-game. See, on the one hand, I'm fine with people requesting to be called by whatever name. On the other hand, it, like, just, man, just chill out, you know? Like, I, I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, so... But, but like, that's the thing, love. Like, how... I, I Okay, I personally... Maybe I'm just not creative enough. I can't think of what I would tell Denver to do differently because I don't know what else they could do, right? Like, Easy, I, Easiest I, thing you can that'll probably happen is you're going to see, uh, like, point forward Jokic. Uh, he's him to start passing more. You're going to see a, a lot more possessions where he's bringing the ball up the court. I don't who know. Is he could, gonna, the thing, here's the thing. Like, who, who, who is he going to pass to? Like, who is it that, like, so severely underperformed their talent level? Like, Michael Porter Jr. went off. Jokic went off. Aaron Gordon had 16 and 8. And nobody, nobody else on Denver did that much. But guess what? That's because Denver doesn't really have anybody else. Is Jamal Murray hurt? Will Barton's not playing? Like, I don't know. Like... Yeah, Evan. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's going back to my point. The Blazers, and because defensively the Nuggets, they've they've improved, but they're still not good. The Blazers are gonna score 115 to 120 points per game. So if you just do the math, like who is gonna score these points for these Nuggets? Like Jokic could average 40, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. could average 25. Cool. You still need 60 points to win the game, and who is gonna do that for you? They only had four dudes in double figures, and I forget how many guys they played, but. And Morris, I think, had exactly 10. And then the Blazers had six of the eight guys that played had double digits. And Rocco was at eight points. He was two points away from double digits. But, like, I just don't see how they can score enough points to beat us in this series. Denver went nine deep last night. The guy who played the fewest minutes was Millsap with 15. Uh, Millsap did not look good. I <clears throat> I thought that maybe playoff Millsap was going to be kind of a thing. And he just, I mean, he looked as old as he actually is. We... Um, we, we should want them to play Millsap because that is a dude that Melo can actually guard. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's someone that, because I worry about Melo having to guard Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon, but like if Millsap's on the floor, like Melo can guard him. That's fine. But, that's great. I mean, that's great for us. And then, fun nugget I mean, Millsap was the only one with a positive plus minus at a whopping plus one for Denver, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is shocking because it was a close game throughout. Like, that's <clears throat> until the third quarter, but yeah. Yeah. I, uh, 
okay, well, let me let me tick through a couple stats and just tell me if anything jumps out. Just get, you have to do it for the good of the order. You know, Dame had 34 and 13 dimes. CJ went for 21, 6, and 3. Nurkic was 16, 12, and 5. Mello obviously had that insane first half and had 18 points on the game. Uh, and Simons had 14 points on 5 of 6 shooting. Um, as we talked about a little bit before, Powell and even Robert Covington didn't have their best games and neither did Cantor. Mm. Okay, yeah, no, let's let's talk about that. Well, for one, uh, the fun stat that jumped out at me is that Dame, Dame accounted for, with his scoring and his assist, accounted for, I believe, 57% of Portland's overall total score. Oh, yeah. So that, I mean, he accounted for over half the points. The other thing, yeah. I mean, Roko... Yeah. Oh, with ahead. Dame, real quick, with Dame, the the part that I that's jumped out to me when I was looking at the box score, only two turnovers. So he's shooting and passing the ball, and he only turned the ball over twice. The, yeah. the Blazers as a team had what we had, um, we had six turnovers. We had six yeah. turnovers. Yeah, that's, that's actually. Crazy. That's huge considering, like you just said, he was the primary ball handler. He played 40 minutes. He was getting pressured a lot by Facundo Campazzo. And actually, let's talk about that. Like, because I well, haven't. Hold on. I got, yeah, I got yeah, one more please. thing real quick. Yeah. Of you you got to apologize to Robert Covington. The man had the second highest plus minus out of anyone on the Blazers team. So are we it, really it, doing the individual plus minus thing, though? I mean, I, I think it kind of stands out. It's him and Dame above 20. And and again, it's Robert Covington is the new and improved Al Farouk Aminu in that you actually trust him to shoot and possibly dribble the ball. But he does a lot of things that don't show up in a box score. So, yeah, I do believe that, you know, that that plus 21 that he was for the game is a big part of why they won. I, so I, I'm not disagreeing. I would just suggest that that maybe part of that individual plus minus were the people that Robert Covington was playing with at the time, right? Like I like, and he had a good he had a good game. I'm not saying that he well, was like bad or anything. If that's the case, then Norman Powell would have registered better than a negative five. I again, I mean, look at how the Blazers how they worked the rotations and who Powell was playing with. And also Powell didn't have the best game, right? I mean, probably his, maybe his worst game as a blazer, which again, I think is, it was, it was. Yeah. Which is part of the reason I feel pretty good. I mean, he's going to play better next well, game. Like there's almost no doubt about it. Norm, Dame and CJ win a combined 21 for 56, which is 38%. And we won by 14 points. Yeah. What we won by Yep. 38%. Yeah. Those three went 38% and we still won by 14. That's not good for Denver. Not good at all because I can't imagine Norm going three for 11 next game. I just can't. Yeah. Right. And I agree with you. Like, I don't think it can be overstated that this is not the Blazers clicking on all cylinders and winning by 14. This is the Blazers playing a flawed game and winning by 14. So, I mean, I like <clears throat> series is far from over and like anything could happen, but I did want to talk about, let's, let's talk about um, Faku's defense on Dame. Uh, he, Can we just call him Composo? I'm gonna if we're going first name, I'm gonna f that thing up so many times. Yeah, I call him Composo too because same thing. I will, I'll fuck it up. I mean, I didn't know if I didn't know about him until like a week ago, and he's someone after the series. I will hopefully never have to hear from again, and I yeah. will not care about. So you don't he like twenty nine year old rookies from Europe? Come on, man. Who look like they haven't slept in a week? The dude's got gigantic bags under his eyes. It just literally needs, looks like he hasn't slept. He just needs a little green stick. You know, you just get that and you just dab it on. It helps with uh, with the bags under the eyes, right? Um, shout out to Queer Eye for that tip. 
Uh, here's oh, yeah. the thing, though. Like, you may not like him. And I, by the way, I like calling him Faco. Like, that's fine. Like, whatever. But, okay, Compazzo. He Compazzo. So, for people who don't know, he is a, an older rookie. And he's very short, right? He's like five, what? Five, five ten. Five ten. Yes. Um, he is my height. <laughs> he is Ryan's height. And he plays very intense defense, which, look, when you're that short, you have to play that intensive defense. And I would say that he did annoy Dame. Like, he did his job really well, right? Like, he got Damian Lillard frustrated at times. But here's the thing is that Damian Lillard, being a little older and wiser, he's seen this before, and he was able to take advantage. I went through, I watched all of Dame's 13 assists, and by my count, 10 of those 13 came as a result of Dame being pressured. So, like, for as much as people want to, and sometimes rightfully, criticize Terry Stotts for his, you know, lack of creativity on offense, the Blazers now do have enough talent and enough savvy, and they're putting their guys in a good enough position so that when that happens, Dame is able to respond. So I don't know if either of you two have anything specifically on, like, uh, Composo's defense on Dame and how Dame responded, but I just thought it was noteworthy because that's going to continue. Yeah, I think for me, the tough part for Composo, the thing that sucks for you, bro, is that Damian will just start. He's going to get star calls. Like, so that's going to be huge. But Dame was nine for nine from the free throw line. Like, I'm shocked he didn't get more free throws. Um, Composo's going to have a hard time with that. Like, he's going to get star calls, and um, that's going to really suck for him. Sorry, bro. The complaining from Dame came really early and was effective. Um, well, especially the one where he completely cherry picked it and didn't even, he was too busy complaining. They got a steal and he's like, oh shit, ball. Yay. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. That was a funny moment. That was funny. Yeah, they... Denver was pissed at that. And he's like, just standing under the basket. It's like, oh, whatever. Unlike when Nurk did it and just gave up on a play and decided to not chase a ball that just went through his hands. And God. May I say one thing about Nurk real quick? that I was really worried about. So in the first half, and I tweeted out yesterday, I did not like his body language at all. I mm. thought that he was complaining a lot. Um, I didn't think that he was, he was kind of sloppy with the ball, putting in uh, kind of a piss poor effort. Um, the thing I worry with Nurk in this series, just real quick is uh, there's only a handful of matchups in the league where there, the other center is like head and shoulders, no doubt better than Nurkic and Jokic is one of those guys. And I just really hope and Nurkic is a pretty prideful dude. I just hope that he, if we can be like, Hey man, like he's better than you. Like, don't get in your head about it. Like you can still impact the game. Like he did last. And I think in the second half, it totally changed he, his body language and attitude totally changed. But I just hope someone's just like, Hey man, don't get in your head. Like Jokic is better than you. Like you have to come to grips with that. And just doesn't mean that you can't give great effort and affect this game in a really positive way. I actually thought to that point that Nurk's comments before the series about how he thought Jokic was the MVP, I thought was a good reflection of him kind of, you know, acknowledging that, you know, this little brother syndrome that maybe he's been holding on to since he was traded from Denver, that he's letting go of that a little bit. Um, and yeah, I agree. Like he didn't look super great in that first half, but he had a, he had a really, really impactful game, like particularly his passing, right? Um, that's like, I don't think that that's a fluke. Like somebody called out in the Twitter questions and we can hit on it later about sustainability, about mm -hmm. what things from this game we think are going to continue. Do either of you disagree that Nurkic's passing is going to continue to be important in this series? Because I think that it will be. 
No, it's been important for the Blazers all year. It's, I mean, that that was our one of our biggest things about the offense being so stagnant when he was out is that Cantor, no matter how much he wants to come up and set those early screens, he's not the type of offensive player that he's going to be a pivot point like Nurk is. And Nurk, I mean, he's not a passer on the level in uh, uh, of Jokic, but he still can operate and hit Dame on a, a Dame on a beautiful, you know, spinning cut pass at one point in the game. His court vision is great. So yeah, no, it's. His his passing was is always important to this team. I also to Evan's point about like people keeping Nurk pumped up. I also hope, and I think Nurk knows this too, that the fact that Jokic went off, that's not only is that okay, that's actually a good thing, right? Like I have something in here. Uh, where did it go? Because it's a good segue. Um, his his quote. Yeah. Okay. Here I, it is. Yeah. yeah. In the post game, Nurkic says, "Quote." When he scores, he being Jokic, when he scores, I think we have a better chance. The fact that he isn't involving all of his teammates, he gets more dangerous when he's in and out. I think we feel more comfortable when he scores 30 or 40 and try not to lock in all the other guys to not have a big game. That's what Nurkic said about him guarding Jokic and Jokic going off. And to Nurkic's point, um, just kind of a, a, a wonky stat, but Jokic gets 1.1 points per possession when he shoots the ball and he gets 1.3 points per possession when he passes the ball. So the Blazers, again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Everybody and their mother knew the Blazers wanted to limit Jokic's passing. But to Evan's point about Nurkic's attitude, I think it is encouraging that Nurk isn't like, oh, I failed to contain him or whatever. He's like, no, we wanted to let him eat because that's how the team is going to be successful. So that's, um, I don't know, that's encouraging for, for me anyway. Well, yeah, and, and then the other thing too is like if if – if Jokic is passing, that means he's resting. He's not actively involved in the offense. He's he's catching his breath. And uh, Dave Deckard over at Blazers Edge wrote a great article before the series started, and he said one of the keys for for containing Jokic is footsteps. The more steps you can make him take, the more tired he will become, the less effective his shot will be. And we saw that at the tail end when he started front front shots and leaving him short he was getting tired so if he's not passing and he's having to do all that work banging down in the post to get those scores even to get 34 points that's going to be beneficial because then you're possibly taking steam out of your star's legs for a close late game situation yeah no for sure uh let's see what else there's a lot man there's a lot to get into about this game um what about this kind of, you know, Denver didn't shoot particularly well from deep, right? They they shot 30% from three. Um, they put up about as many shots as the Blazers did, but the Blazers hit 47% of those. So, like, I would imagine Denver may not shoot only 30%. Maybe Portland won't shoot 47%. But again, like we were talking about, like, especially Dame and Norman Powell from deep have room for improvement and I just don't think Denver has the shooters to keep up, right? Like, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. went one for 10. He might do better next game, but, like, I, I don't know. Like, if I'm a Denver fan, am I really looking at anybody? Like, am I leaning on Austin Rivers to go off? Like, I don't know. Or <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the thing with Denver is without, without – Without their their main guards and without Will Barton, you've taken away uh, outside of Jokic, you've taken away their most consistent three point shooters. So Will Barton is figured to come back before the series started. Um, Mike Malone had stated that uh, 
<laughs> had stated that Will Barton had returned to uh, full contact practice and he will and he will be playing in this series. It was up in the air on if we'd see him in game one. That may be an adjustment that we see from Malone in, in game two. But what if Will Barton's just like secretly a double agent for the Blazers, you know? No, he's still pissed at us. He, he still holds that burning ember. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. We traded him and gave him an absolutely fantastic career in Denver. How dare we, us bastards? <laughs> uh, I think we had one more thing in here. I think, Ryan, you'd put in about the fast start. Um, well, yeah, yeah, and and that's just one of the big things to watch out for. I mean, we saw it in, in yesterday's game. They both jumped out. I, I think it was, uh, you know, in the high 30s for both teams. And Denver and Portland are literally the top two teams in the league for first quarter scoring. And so that's going to be something to watch out for. I mean, especially with how we've seen that the Blazers, if they fall behind early, they sometimes lose steam. That's a trend we hope doesn't return because it seemed to have gotten corrected by the end of the season. But if, if Portland's shot is off and Denver just gets hot, it's a danger to dig an early hole. Yeah, Evan? Yeah, and for me, one of the interesting stats where we move on from the stats, um, the thing that really jumped out at me that kind of ties in with that was just the ball movement. Like, watching it without looking at the stat box, I felt like the ball movement was way more crisp and more on point. Um, And then after the game, looking up and seeing that the Blazers had 29 assists, which is incredible considering that we are dead last in the league in the regular system at 20, last in the league at 21 assists per game. So... To see it jump up to 29%, and yeah, it's only one game in the playoffs, but it's very encouraging to see them move the ball like that. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a 30 year shots overall that are assisted, and that's fantastic. And I, exactly. And then to your point about like the first quarter, the other thing that stood out, um, and I know I think we're going to touch on a part of this a little bit later, but um, 38 points in the third quarter, which is, I know it's like a funny, cute thing to joke about on Twitter, like, oh God, here comes the third quarter for the Blazers. This is when we really stink. <laughs> But uh, 38 third-quarter points, that's what got us a separation from Denver. Um, so whatever adjustments were made at halftime and whatever they were saying to each other, stops was coaching them up, like it obviously really worked. I was really pumped about that. Yeah, and to, to your point, too, about the assists and, like, the sustainability of it. I mean, when you again, when you watch Dame's assists, they were not just, like, most of them were in very direct response to the way they were defending Dame. And if you defend Dame super close, what's going to happen? Other people are going to be open, right? And he has the vision to to pull that off. And also Nurkic's assists, right? Like oh, there was one in particular is it was at the near the end of the fourth quarter uh, where Nurkic had it at the elbow and Mello cut inside. And Nurkic had like a tenth of a second to pull off this bounce pass between Aaron Gordon and Jokic and he pulled it off like stuff like that it's like obviously we know that we've talked about it Nurkic's passing is important so all this is just to say like I like they may not get 29 assists next game but the way that they were doing it was in response to how they were being guarded and it just I don't know it made sense to me Another way to to it's important to I mean like to see that twenty nine assists and have that have that account for you know thirty percent of your shots basically are are assisted. I always try to look at a Blazer game and thinking about things in hockey assists because look at the guys that are are getting past the ball. Like if Dame is passing CJ the ball, he may take a dribble, a little sidestep, a little euro step. And score. It doesn't mean that you know that's not an assist in the true sense of the word, but I that's ball movement and an assisted shot. So when you have a team that has this many this many shot creators, that's going to diminish your overall assist numbers. But if you look at just the ball movement in general, you have to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah, it's actually funny that 
you know, there there are some folks who really point at the Blazers' lack of assists and saying, oh, if only they had a different coach that could get them passing more. The the counter to that, which came— I haven't seen Stotts pass the ball once this year, so obviously he's got to go. And it's funny because Stotts is actually an NBA player, so you'd think he'd be able to pass from the bench. But uh, a counter to that is that the Blazers— first of all, have one of the most potent offenses in the NBA and even in NBA history. But the second thing is that there is no direct correlation between number of assists and how good your offense is. However, there is a direct correlation between how many turnovers you commit and how dragged down your offense gets. And guess what? There's also a correlation between the number of passes you make and the number of turnovers you commit. So when you have elite ball handlers, elite scorers like a Dame, like a CJ, at times like Norman Powell, my cats are fighting in the background, when you have people who are able to generate offense without the risk of turning the ball over, that's a good thing, right? And I'm yeah. not saying that's the end-all, be-all. I'm not saying that the Blazers shouldn't look to pass more. I'm just saying when we're thinking about this stuff, it's important to put it into full context. And there are some reasons why you may not want to pass the ball more because you may turn the ball over, right? Um, yeah. Was there well, anything? There, there, oh, yeah. There's a reason the Blazers ranked dead last in assists and first in fewest turnovers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The system sense. is set up to play to the strengths of our players. And the strengths of our players in Dame and CJ, they're really good at ISO scoring. And like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like, I understand that people, there's just a, a subset of people who just like to be angry, just to be angry. And they need to find stats to be angry about. And the assist is one of those. And it's like, all right, well, we've got like a top five offense. So, you know, what do you, offense is not the issue for this team. It hasn't been the issue for this team this year. And yeah. I, I mean, this is not a podcast about coach thoughts. Um, Cause I'm sure that we'll get to that at some point in during the off season or whatever, but like, you know, for the record, I think there are things about Terry Stotts's coaching that could be better, right? Like I think that there are coaches who are better than Terry Stotts, right? Doesn't mean he's the best coach in the world. He's also not the worst coach in the world. Right. So there, there's some give and take there. And, and I think that you're right. Like it's important just to look at it in the full context. Was there anything else you wanted to get to that you all think either is sustainable that you expect to see again that you think can continue um, before we get into some of the kind of the unsustainable stuff mm, not really because i disagree okay. with half of what you got on the unsustainable list so great uh let's go <laughs> um okay so i think it's unsustainable that Jokic can be limited that much in his passing we said before one assist for him it was a career playoff low and the other thing i, I pulled this little thing out from twitter According to ESPN Stats and Info, the Nuggets shot just one for 10, just one for 10 on passes from Jokic. That means that he had 10 potential assists that only generated one actual assist. I know that we just got done talking about how Denver doesn't have a ton of options for him to pass to, but that's not going to happen again, right? Like the Denver's not going to shoot 10% off of passes from Jokic. I don't think that any of us think that's going to continue, right? Mm, I do. You okay? Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't. I because we just talked about it. We don't trust their shooters. Out. That's why you know they're they do not have a reputation as being sustained shooters. And there are guys on this team that you want to be shooting the ball. If he's passing the ball to Composo, if he's passing the ball to Aaron Gordon on the perimeter, those are guys that you kind of want taking the shot. And you're going to be like, okay, we'll deliver. Well, if we lose by those guys hitting. But the numbers say they're more than likely not. 
Yeah, and you know, and like we talked about earlier, the Denver Nuggets can't force the Blazers to double team Jokic. And during the season, when teams double team him, he's able to pass out of it so quickly and hit someone open. I, I haven't gone back and rewatched the game, but I would assume that one for ten, I'm, those nine shots that were missed were probably contested because we're not doubling him, right? So yeah. I don't think that strategy changes. I mean, the Nuggets can't force us to double him; they just can't. Um, so do I think that more players that, that they'll hit more than one shot out of a pass out from Jokic? Sure. I think that the nuggets will also want to do that more. Um, I think that they're going to try to change the strategy to try to get other guys involved. So it's not, so the burden doesn't all fall on Jokic. Um, but if we continue not to double them, those looks that in earlier in the season were wide open looks are going to be contested looks. Um, and if they continue to be contested looks, you know, Again, not 10%, but I still think it could be a lower low percentage. And and one of the beautiful things, too, is that if we're not doubling Jokic in the post, that means that when Jokic is passing, is passing out of the post or passing to a player, and we saw it a couple times last night where Portland can send a trap or send a blitz, the rest of Denver's players are nowhere near as good of passers as Jokic. So they're not getting the ball back to him to take advantage of that blitz or that trap. So it, without doubling him, that is that opens up so many defensive opportunities, and we saw a lot of them on display last night. Yeah, that's totally fair, I, and I also don't think the strategy changes. I, I think, though, and this is where maybe I want to give the Blazers coaching staff and the Blazers players some credit, that the Blazers were extremely disciplined about not doubling Jokic, even when he started going off, right? And mm -hmm. so I think it is important that if he were to go off even more or if things were to look a little bit differently, that the Blazers don't panic and don't try to shift too far from their strategy, which clearly is working. I mean, I, I also agree with Evan. I don't think the one for 10 is going to sustain. Again, Michael Porter Jr. went one for 10 from deep, for example. He's going to hit more than that. Um, and I didn't have a chance to look at where those 10 potential assists went. In fact, to be completely honest, I don't know how I would find that because I, if you go to stats.nba.com, it's pretty cool. You can see a video clip of like every point, every rebound, every assist. But I, I don't know if there's a way to see potential assists, right? Like unless you're rewatching the entire game. Yeah, did you see the the that same stat that you mentioned Jokic the one for ten with Dame? Did you see what that was? Uh, no, it was thirteen of fifteen pass outs were assists for Dame. So wow. fifteen times pass out because I, I read this, the ESPN story. It had an ESPN story. Um, thirteen or fifteen. That's amazing. And like again, like that may not continue. Like basically, there's an alternate universe in which Jokic actually had five assists and Dame actually only had eight. And the score is closer, right? Like, I mean, butterfly effect, like who knows what would have happened. But I'm just saying, like, that's not completely unreasonable. But, yeah, the strategy was sound. Um, so yeah, we had we had a game plan. They executed it. The players yeah. trusted the coaches. Like you mentioned, I love your point about um, they didn't overreact when Nerf started to go off. They stayed the course. They had a game plan. They executed it. The players trusted the coaches. And right. it resulted in a W. And by the way, like just to, I, I, keep, I keep thinking about my friend Terry Stott, the coaching staff being able to get the players to, to buy into something, even when it looks like in some respects it's not working, that actually is the sign of a strong coach. That is something about coaching, which it may be hard to quantify, but 
keeping people uh, interested and engaged, buying into whatever it is you're telling them, even when it doesn't look like parts of it are working, that actually is a really important part of coaching. And, and Terry Stotts is very good at that. Um, here's something else I don't think is particularly sustainable. I don't have the stats in front of you, and maybe one of you can give it to me. Carmelo Anthony's first half. Right. Like that was a lot of fun to see. Like it was pretty awesome. Like I appreciated Denver booing him because it seemed like he kind of enjoyed that. Um, unfortunately, we saw the other end of that in the second half where he took, you know, several shots in a row that were maybe less than advisable. But it's because he was mellow. Mellow drank his own Kool-Aid for the second Yeah, I like to say, you know, in the first half, I busted out my mellow apology form and filled it out. And then in the second half, I maybe set it aside a little bit. But like they dropped him off at my door. Thanks. Thanks, by the way. I got him in the mail. I lit them all on fire. I've never had to apologize for mellow, by the way. I've always loved mellow. I Good, good for you, Evan. Evan, Evan hey, you, I get frustrated with them like everyone else, but you know, I Evan, just, if you're if you're not aware, I have been a mellow hater for for a very long time. But I have, uh, but I have learned also, and I am willing to readdress this once the season has come to a close and the playoffs are over. I've learned that the more I slander mellow during a game, the mellow basically offers his own personal fuck you to me and plays mm-hmm. better. So at this point, my superstitious side says I can't yeah, stop. I, I can't stop slandering the man. It, it's for the benefit of everyone. No, and I understand. I understand the criticism of Melo for sure. Defensively, it's tough to keep him out on the floor when the matchup is against him and he takes bad shots. For me, just holistically, I think it's so cool that we get a root for a guy like Melo. You know, the Blazers never get dudes in free agency or trade kind of of that caliber. Even if he's in the twilight of his career, that's fine. Like, I just think we're going to look back and be like, man, that was really fucking fun rooting for that guy and and how happy he was. Like. The Blazers account the other day posted that video at practice and I tweeted, I'm like, man, that guy just loves basketball. And it's so much fun that we get a root for him. Maybe this is his last stop. Maybe it's not. Um, I just love the fact that the Blazers um, asked him to you know, take a chance on us and that he embraced that. So it's just I think it's fun. Yeah, I, I do maintain catch and shoot mellow is the best mellow. And we saw a lot of catch and shoot mellow last night. And that is why I feel as though he was as productive and helpful as he was. Yeah. And 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 look, I mean, it's kind of a, you could say the same thing about Anthony Simons, maybe even more so because he only missed one of his six shots. Right. Like Simons is not going to go four for five from deep every game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I so. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't expect that stuff to continue necessarily. Like it wouldn't shock me if Mello went four for 12 or Ant, you know, went two for six. Like that's not going to shock me if that happens in game two. Yeah. So one of my unsustainable things that ties into that, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's would be foolish to think that that could happen, you know, consistently over the series, uh, over the entire series. Conversely, something that I don't think is unsustainable that is beneficial to Portland is Again, Dame, Norm, and CJ shooting 38% from the field. Right. So that's a good, like an unsustainable thing that's good for us. That's exactly yeah. it. It's like, that's, if it were that like every Blazers player kind of popped off, it, I would, I'd be a little bit more concerned, right? I mean, it's Denver technically shot better than the Blazers in this game overall, right? Like Denver shot 50%, the Blazers shot 47%. Part of that is the shot selection and Blazers making a ton of threes. But part of that is that, yeah, like, like you just said, like maybe Simons doesn't pop off. Maybe Mello doesn't pop off, but you know, Dame could Norman will definitely play better. Um, yeah. So, 
the other thing, the, it seemed like Denver got like every offensive rebound for like a 20 minute stretch. <laughs> I was trying. Uh, it's because they did. Well, I, I was <laughs> trying to, maybe you guys can help me out. Like, I was trying to figure out why that was happening. Was it like, I, it, was it just the ball was bouncing weird? Were people just like losing track of people to box out? Like, I couldn't figure out why that was happening, but it was super, super annoying. You were seeing a lot of guys from Denver fly in from the perimeter and catching rebounds. I mean, in, in the event, the Blazers weren't boxing out, but there was a lot of rebounds that I saw Denver grab where the Blazers didn't necessarily have anyone to box out when the ball went up. And uh, was uh, Brian what, Freeman from Blazers, uh, formerly yeah. a Blazers edge? Uh, I saw him Former have a good professional po- basketball player, Brian Freeman. Yeah, I that too. I, I saw him, somebody saying something about boxing out, and uh, I saw him reply with the uh, fun fun news is that uh, when, when everybody boxes out, uh, n- nobody gets the rebound, basically. And it, it basically talking about like players and personal stats. Like if you're going to have a big guy that cares to box out, he's boxing out for his teammates to get a rebound. So I'm not expecting Dame and CJ to start boxing guys out. Steven Adams helping out his colleague, Russell Westbrook and OKC. Literally literally going to say Steven Adams. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Robin Lopez was really good at that too. Robin Lopez, when he was in the Blazers, I haven't followed as much lately, but he would create so much space when, I mean, it was just, and then the ball just fall and someone would just grab it. Right. Yeah. Um, Okay, there's one more thing I had in this list, and Ryan, in your notes, you say this was not a thing, but Portland's free throw advantage. Explain to me why Portland shooting 19 free throws to Denver's eight was not a thing. Do my eyes deceive me? Am I getting the numbers mixed up? Have I forgotten how to count to 20? Help me out here. No, you're you're right on the numbers thing. I just think that the refs last night were absolute trash, and so I don't. I the foul calls that were called on both ends of the court ended up being egregious ones that they could not not blow the whistle for. But I I feel as though we saw a lot more contact on both ends of the court, and so I mean it's I. I I I don't think that the free throw advantage last night was I don't know actually a thing. Call me an idiot for it. It's a weird thought, but I'm just the refs were trash no, last night in my mind. So that's fine. I, I, I mean, I tossed the baby out with the bathwater on that one. The other thought I had, I don't know if Evan, if you have an opinion on this, but the other thought I had was that's just part of the Blazers' style of play, particularly Damian Lillard is very good how do i put this he is good at um you know generating uh opportunities for people to foul him right through the way in which he can exaggerate contact and frankly through him not being afraid to to drive and so maybe some of that disparity was simply that was how the blazers played right but like I guess I just I don't expect the Blazers to shoot more than twice as many free throws as Denver every single game. I just don't think that's going to continue. Yeah. Dame yeah, has also it, never been fouled in the act of shooting. Only on the floor. Only. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. And Dame is really good at like at curling, uh, uh, you know, on the top of the three-point line from that pick that set and then rising up before he even gets all the way through the pick. And I mean, in the radio season, he got that call, call a lot. He obviously, didn't get it much last night. But um I think, yeah, trying to handicap what the refs are going to do from game to game, to game especially in the playoffs, I, you know, like you just can't. Who knows? From game, you have no idea from game to game what what their motive is and what they're what they're officiating. It's the one thing I do think, like I mentioned earlier, Dame will get Composo in foul trouble because Dame is a star and Composo is 
not. And Composito thinks he knows Dame well enough to be able to, because one of his things is when he was over in Europe, and this was well before the playoff series came out, old article asking about like his, uh, his idols and whatnot and how he got ready to make the jump over to the NBA. And he referenced what we hear a lot of guys say is that he plays a lot of 2K. And one of the players that he tried to model his game after and that he would always play as was Damian Lillard. So yeah, he, that's he, he, know, he knows digital Dame well. Composo trying to be Dame is like me taking uh, an Eminem print and then making <laughs> a, a bad copy of it and then sketching over it and then putting it through a fax machine and then crumpling it. Like, okay. Like, I, and I'm not trying to dump on Composo. People too. have done that. <laughs> yeah. People have yeah, done uh, that. We could have a whole segment about people. My shit um, gets stolen all the stealing time. Your shit. Yeah. Okay. So I want to be a little mindful of time. Was there anything else that kind of jumped out to you two about this game? Any parting thoughts? I don't know if you want to go into the Twitter questions. I don't know if you want to do like predictions for the next game or predictions for the series or how do you want to, how do you want to land this aeroplane? We can, uh, after, after this little bit, we can, uh, we can go into the uh, Twitter questions. Uh, the only, uh, the only other little random nugget that, that I wanted to uh, point out. Nugget, huh? That's yeah. quite the choice yeah. of word there. Yeah, well, that was that was a pun not intended, but it works. <laughs> but is uh, Zach Collins is I was right. I literally was sitting on the couch before the game started, and uh, our our buddy Eric asked uh, turns to me and he's like, "So I think this is going to be a chippy series, and we'll probably see a fight." Any guess on who it is? I think it might be Mello. I said, "No, Collins is going to fight somebody." I didn't figure it'd be Collins fighting the guy on Denver's bench and Jamal Murray. <laughs> that was. I tweeted, I tweeted like an hour ago or a couple hours ago that uh, at, on that clip where he's flipping off Jamal Murray, I tweeted, uh, Zach Collins is the homie that walks up to you and hands you a roll of quarter quarters and whispers in your ear, just in case, right before you go out to go party. <laughs> that, I mean, the motherfucker is born and raised Las Vegas. Like, have you ever met anyone that was like born in La- and raised in Las Vegas? Like, they're crazy. And he, that guy is crazy. He literally looks like a physical amalgamation of say the word Las Vegas and Zach Collins in what he's wearing will pop out. Like he literally looks and acts the part. Yeah, I agree. I um, want to party with him so bad. There was one time in Portland. At don't do it during m- season though. We all saw that, oh, I don't, like, that three fine. month hangover he had from his 21st birthday. I'm oh yeah. Repeat that. <laughs> For sure. But there, there was one time at a bar on 23rd when uh, I was partying. And he walked in with like a group of people and they got a table. And like, I thought to myself, like, he's not even close to 21 years old. And then like 15 minutes later, someone like came and whispered and he like had to leave. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I would have loved to take a shot with him. That would have been great. Oh man, Zach Collins. uh, It'd be fun to see him come back during the playoffs. If the Blazers are so fortunate as to continue playing in the playoffs. Uh, Part of me really wants to see him play. Part of me just wants to see him heal. Um, Another interesting discussion about what his off season might look like, but uh, any, is he a free, is he a free agent this off season or is he one more year left on his rookie deal? Uh, Restricted. Yep. Oh man, that's going to be a tough decision. So he gets the he gets the one year prove it deal contract unless uh, Neil decides to give him that uh, that sweet sweet Myers Leonard money. Let's uh, not go too far. We don't know if Neil's going to have a job this off. Like you know, I can wish. Um, fingers crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. We uh, this yeah. I actually I did the <laughs> the sweet sweet Myers Leonard money. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see the Blazers do like a hey go ahead and take the security of a long-term deal at a, at a term that works for the team, right? Like kind of a, a low per year, but higher number of years thing like that wouldn't 
shock me. Um, nah, give me a one and one. Give give me a one year with a team option. Eh. Well, we'll see. Uh, different 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 conversation for a different day. Any other thoughts about kind of the the game or predictions for moving forward, or do we just want to get into these questions? I don't know. I see we get this organized at this point. What's that? I see we get the questions because like I okay. my predictions for the series has not changed since before game one. It okay. is exactly the same. So very good. Yep. Blazers and six. I have it tattooed. Blazers and six. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I uh, guess you're kind of locked into that <laughs> prediction till the end of time yeah. now, right? Yeah. All day, every day. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're gonna look silly when they sweep. Uh, yeah, I said again. My heart <laughs> told me Blazers in five, and and I, you know, that may not happen, but it, it's looking pretty good actually so far. Okay, off to a good start. Some Twitter questions. This one's from Triple Dog at Eric J. Also, he wanted to know how dope this podcast would be. Uh, the answer is super dope. Um, <laughs> there's really oh, no hell yeah, dog. no question about that. He also asked, uh, and I don't really. I, I, so I don't have cable, so I can't answer this question. Which is the best Fred Meyer commercial? Uh, kid inviting no. stranger in house. What is well, he talking about? He's talking about the annoying Fred Meyer commercials that you see on every Blazer game. Now, Evan, I don't know if, if you get those on your NBA TV feed, but I want. Luckily, to I don't. Luckily, uh, I don't. I want to murder the Fred Meyer Fred Meyer marketing director because, well, for one, I can't even say Fred Meyer. I think it's Kroger or whatnot that owns them. For one, you notice yeah. that the name tags on all the characters in that little animated thing they don't have the name of the store. Never do you see the name of the store, so that wherever whatever part of the country you're in they can just insert it for that yep but yeah so that's where you get like yeah so that that's where you get like the fred meyer the how low and it's the little people dancing or whatnot uh the other one that they had just started was it's like this family at a dinner table and you see a person just walk by their kitchen window and like look in and just kind of like stare at the family and then like a little kid gets up from the table and goes out and grabs the person by the hand and invites them in to sit at the dinner table okay that seems and I feel weird as, and unsafe. It is. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> especially especially as we're uh, exiting a fucking pandemic. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, and and it's and it's weird too because like you can't tell if it's like a family or if it's a friends gathering. Like it it's it's just this weird amalgamation of a table and it's talking about like helping out your neighbors during a pandemic. But I'm like this is horrible messaging. Like during a pandemic it is not drag strangers off the street and invite them into your house. Also like horrible fucking parenting why are you letting your kids just go out and talk to strangers who are creepily peering in your fucking window that is super weird don't do that don't kids out there listening do not do that yeah so so my vote is for the kid inviting stranger in house but only because it leads you down such helpful psa conversations with your family i i have a vote even though i i again i use uh NBA League pass and they i don't get to see the fred meyer commercials unfortunately but sounds like it's fortunate um, any commercial. So fat, I watched with Batman who is here right there, but I don't know if you can see him. He's just right there. Oh, he's um, man. Any commercial that has an animal, I vow to never, um, buy their product or use their service because he watches the games and he barks when it, he watches TV and anytime an animal comes on TV, he loses his mind <laughs> and I get so frustrated. So, um, the years ago, there was a Les Schwab commercial years ago that had a golden retriever towards the middle of the commercial. And he got to the point where he could hear the music and see the very first opening seconds. And he would perk up because he knew the golden retriever was coming. Like that, that motherfucker's back. That's yeah. <laughs> Every time. I wish you didn't do that, bud, but I love you. So it's fine. 
Uh, my answer to this is going to be something where only the real ones will understand. The what's on your list today? You'll oh. find it at Fred Meyer. So like, bring you're going back, old school. Yeah, bring back like the early nineties. And and to to our point about like the the templatization of advertising, that was a Fred Meyer commercial for Fred Meyer. You knew because that song had the word Fred Meyer in it, right? So it's like, um, you know, one easy stop and you're on your way. Uh, if, I, if you if you want to go with burned in marketing, the one I will never forget to go back to my Midwest roots is the freaking Save Big Money at Menards. <laughs> uh, Menards. It's amazing. That, it's how... a Minnesota thing. My memory is at You're times, from Minnesota? Yes, my people hail from Minnesota. My people hail. Uh, my memory is at times not the greatest, but there, I mean, at television advertising, it, it, I mean, I have like bubblegum advertisements. I have like toy from like when I was like seven. It's like, don't I have other better things for my brain to keep track of than this bullshit? Anyway. <laughs> nope, same, same as we will always know where Shane Company is located. There is no question on those directions whatsoever. Oh my Lord. Uh, okay, I'm going to give this next question to you, Ryan. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so this one, this one, <laughs> this one is crass. But the thing is, is when you so politely and kindly hopped on Twitter after the game last night to solicit these questions and comments, I am sitting within arm's reach of of one Mr. Ryan Green, and I was like, "Hey, you should go come up with some some sort of creative question or comment." Forgetting that if you challenge that man to do such a thing, he will do it in such a horrible nature. So he asked, which nipples are best, Canadian bacon, pepperoni, or invisible? And I'm not going to lie. That question went over my head for the first 45 seconds I after I literally read have no idea what that means. <laughs> Uh, my answer I, to I, that, I would, I would like to, and your, your, your guys' doctor, uh, doctor better halves will, uh, uh, appreciate this. Uh, he is discussing the wrong body part. I believe he is referencing the areola and not the nipple itself. And I feel as though we cannot properly answer this question Dr. when Whitledge. he, when he has worded it so horribly. So if he can come back with a, a more properly and medically, uh, correct question, we can address this on a future show, but until he does so, we cannot. I still don't know if I would understand the question, but, you know. I think that, it's, first it's of all, -question. I'll, uh, I'll draw you a picture. Please. <laughs> Evan, you and I should ask our better halves if there is a fellowship for areola studies. Um, and second of all, I would say. Isn't that the bedroom? <laughs> oh, my God. I would say whatever it is that you have is just fine by me, right? Like, I feel like let's all, I mean, and there's a lot about the way that I look that I don't really like, that I've never liked, right? And over time, hopefully, you just come to accept that this is the way that you are, and that's totally okay, right? So that's my that's my answer. Whatever it is that you have is totally awesome. Uh, let's go to this one, a serious question from Kyle Harris at khartos44. And what's up, we, Kyle? We, what's up, Kyle? We actually did talk about this a little bit, but maybe just a quick, uh, uh, your first thought that what, if anything about the win was unsustainable. I, I, I honestly, again, in a good way that Dame Norman CJ shooting 38%, I think that they're going to perform better than that moving forward, which is a very good thing for the Blazers. Yeah. I'm uh, ditto. I'm, I'm going to go. I, I, both of you being positive. Look at that. Me going negative. This is a weird spot to be in. I'm going to say that Mello and Simons performing as well as they did is maybe a little bit unsustainable. I also don't think, as we talked about, that Jokic will only have one assist. That's just not going to happen again. Uh, here's that won't happen. You're right. You're right. And that will not happen again. It will not happen again. But I can very much see him being held to under 10. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree oh, sure. with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have one from Ben Thompson at Ben underscore son of Tomp. Which street is the championship parade going to be on? Like it's, always, it's Broadway. Is, is, has it ever not been down Broadway? Well, it's only happened once, so I don't know if we know. Well, I mean, yeah, so... If we're going off that, I mean, unless we're, are we take, we're not going to 82nd. I know that for damn I would sure. want to parade tell you. down Sandy in front of the liquor store, right? And <laughs> past the zipper. Like, that's where I want to go. Let's go. <laughs> I'll tell you where mine will be here in New Orleans. It'll be down Esplanade near the French Quarter. I'll duck into Bufa's, get my standard Esplan shot in Miller Lite combo, and then just go into the quarter and lose myself. You, That's where you, mine will be. No, you know what? I think if if it comes to that, there needs to be a GoFundMe that me and Brandon need to start to get some of the the Blazer Blazer faithful flown in for the parade. Yeah, well, also, parade, if, if the Blazers win the championship, I will fly home. Like, just no problem. I'll fly home for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna say if 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 it comes down to where they're like, oh yeah, I can't afford a plane ticket. No, we're starting the GoFundMe. We're getting we're getting Neela up here. We're bringing Dia back. It's it's happening. That I would, will go up. I will be up there. I promise you. That would be right. I have a fucking ticket that I bought before the pandemic that I still need to use before the year's over. So there you, there you go. go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out to New Orleans, by the way. I've only been. Uh, shout out. Shout out. I've only been the one time and it was just. Get like, down here. I know. It was um, It was pretty, pretty stunning. I know that. Like, let me. Yeah. Let me tell you. I just had a couple of homies that came last weekend. And uh, things have really opened up down here. Um, just like the other day, they're now saying you don't need to wear masks indoors, which I still do. It's my personal preference. Um, but we uh, we had a we had a weekend. Let me tell you, we really got after it. Like really got after it. So was, get down was, here. I was supposed to go down there last year for the uh, for the five year anniversary trip, but uh, damn pandemic put some uh, s- some kiboshes in that. Some quick positive COVID news, because uh, I um, this part, some of this stuff I, I do a little bit for my work. Uh, they just announced that the Pfizer vaccine seems to be effective against all of these various mutations of COVID, which is like really, really, really good news. Because as we know, viruses change and evolve over time. That's why we have to get a flu shot every every year, right? Because it changes a little bit. Uh, but so far, the way that COVID has been changing, the vaccines we currently have is still effective against it. And that's just really, really good news. So uh, shout out to the people working on vaccines. This is the last one I had in the list. It wasn't a question in response to us, but something I saw on Twitter I wanted to lift up from Ian it- at Ian see rose city oh sorry go for it what was that i, I was gonna say i think this i think uh evan should handle this one because he's uh he is the out of towner hit um, me with it uh he, yeah what okay yeah this is to evan then uh ian says i really wish people outside of portland understood how valuable yusuf nurkic is to the team his passing completely systematically changes our offense we go from running iso ball uh, to cutting an off ball movement uh, through nurkic's passing so i think what ian is saying is that uh, people who cover the nba don't really give enough respect to nurkic's passing i'm curious if you have any thoughts on that yeah, and yeah like what, I, what's his opinion or what's the opinion of Nurk amongst other basketball fans and whatnot and in outside the uh, Portland market too? Yeah, well, outside, like down here in New Orleans, like basketball is not a high priority. So like even my friends that watch basketball down here, um, they, I think it would be tough to get a, like an honest opinion of Yusuf Nurkic out of them because they probably just, again, when it ties into the media, not really talking about them. In regards to 
his passing, like I totally agree with everything that Ian said. He opens up a lot more. I agree with the backdoor cuts. Like again, last night, like you mentioned, Brandon, that that threaded the needle past Camelo. He's great at doing that. But I mean, the major impact that Nurk has on this team, and it's obvious, is his defense on the defensive end. Like we are just so much better defensively when he's there. And I know we had historically one of the worst defenses in the NBA. It, you know, whatever. And then the second he comes back, it trends towards mediocre to actually good, like a good defensive team. And that's not like, it's not a coaching thing. Obviously a few years ago, we had a top six defense um, with the same essentially coaching staff in place. So like, I think his impact while the passing is there and I do think it encourages more movement on the offensive end. I think his impact is much more felt on the defensive end. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's, yeah, I think that's good analysis, Ryan. No, no, I'm, well, I, I just, I just so yeah. the last thing on this, like I, so I would say that, yeah, when I listen to national podcasts, they do talk about Nurkic, his passing, I don't think comes up enough because it is, it's critical. I, I think to Ian's point, it does unlock a lot for this Blazers team. Um, really, really quick. I'm going to spend 20 seconds on this, but a couple weeks Lies. ago, I said, if the Blazers do everything right, they're going to go nine and one. And guess what? During that stretch, they went eight and two. So I'm so gonna, you were wrong. Well, I was <laughs> wrong. But the thrust of like basically the last part of the season, I just I didn't want this to get lost. Um, went about as well as you could have hoped for the Blazers to put themselves in this position where they got Denver as the matchup where they were able to win game one. So let's close it on this. Any predictions for game two, whether it's like an outcome or a thing that you think is going to keep happening or maybe a new twist? Because, again, I mean, the playoffs are all about adjustments, right? Like the teams are seeing the same teams over and over again. But so anybody have any predictions or thoughts about what you think you might see from game two? We'll start with Evan. Yeah, I think that uh, Norman Powell will be the second leading scorer for the Blazers in game two. Game Damn it, you, you stole my prediction. Spicy. Did I really? You did. I think it's going to be a big game from Norm. That's it. Yeah. I mean, because you got to think, here's the thing about Norm, and I would love to talk about this real quick about Norm, just real quick. Um, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. I personally do not think there is any chance that he's going to re-sign with the Portland Trailblazers. I just don't. I don't think that he has any interest in being the third option on a team like this when he can go somewhere else. I mean, he's already won a title with the Raptors. Um, I think that he's going to want to be more of a feature on a team offensively than just being the third guy. Um, But that being said, let's enjoy the time we have with him now. And I think he's going to have a big bounce back game in game two, because again, contract here, unrestricted free agent. He's got to play well. Let me, let me respond in this way. I, uh, you know, if the the Blazers in their system have done everything they can, given that they already have two primary ball handlers, have done everything they can to give Norm opportunities and to elevate him. So, you know, I, 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 I agree that the question of whether or not he resigns, I don't know. It's a big question. It's, it's scary. But I do think that the Blazers... A, they've done everything in their power to elevate him, given they already have Damon CJ. And also, B, the Blazers have been very, very successful with him. And, like, so my hope, you're making the argument he's already won a title, so maybe he just wants to find a team where he maybe be the second the second option and I, I, I have an elevated role. Um, I would argue maybe Powell cares 
so much about winning that the balance of, oh, I'm on a good team. Oh, and they really respect me and they're elevating me as much as they can, given that they already have Damon CJ. Maybe that will convince him to stay. But I agree that the, the question of whether or not he, he resigns is, is uh, it's spooky. It's scary days. The, uh, the, I, I, the, think he's, I think he's going to New York. That's my prediction. The Knicks have the money and they're good. Um, and he would slot mm. in as with Julius Randle, he would be the first or second best player on that team. Big, biggest um, thing with him, though, is he's talked all his families on the West Coast and the West talked, Coast, yeah. and he's talked about wanting to be closer to them. The other fun caveat to think of, too, is that Toronto uh, living there and paying their taxes in Canada. It is absolutely astronomical. It's the one time where uh, it would be a lot more financially beneficial for him to take a contract in Portland coming from Canadian taxes. There we go. Hey, finally, we're getting the. I hope. Hey, whenever I say this on Twitter, people are like, why do you hate Norm? I'm like, I don't hate Norm. I would love for him to stay. I just don't think he's going to. It's just the, I the, would the, love for him to stay in Portland. The Blazers traded away a, a guaranteed opportunity to keep somebody. They traded that away for not at all the guaranteed opportunity to keep somebody, right? Like that was the, the biggest thing when the Norman Powell trade first happened and everybody, you know, at Golden PDX follow me on Twitter. What I said was, oh, I'm pretty sure that Olshay must have talked to Norm and his agent. Subsequent reporting has suggested that conversation did not happen, that they don't even have a soft commitment from Norman to, to, to staying in Portland. And so that makes it scary. And I do think that when you look at this trade, in like a like a you know a historical view like two or three years later, uh, if Norman Powell doesn't stay, it doesn't matter how well the Blazers do this year unless they like get to the finals or something. It, it kind of doesn't matter how good they do if they don't keep him, because the alternative would have been to perhaps overpaying Gary Trent Jr. But they would have had yeah. the guaranteed you opportunity. Have an asset. To keep yeah. it exactly, and and losing an asset like that for nothing would be terrible. So like, I I, I say I it's so only worth it he... if they win. If they win at all, then I don't care if he walks. Well, correct. Oh, that's oh, that's what I'm saying. I, I think if they if 100%. they somehow get to the finals, I also don't think it. I'm like, okay, fine. That's like, look, that, no, because then you're losing a major piece of how you got there, and you still have a step to take. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I'm just. I guess I'm just saying. Like if, to me the Blazers getting to the finals is like a in, in the context of this franchise is a big enough deal to where, okay, that gamble was maybe worth it. I, I don't know. I, yeah. Dame would be very happy with that. Exactly. I know yeah. that there's always a speculation of like, he says he wants to stay. He wants to stay. He wants to stay. I always caution fans of saying, don't be shocked if, um, you know, one day he wakes up and he's like, you know what? I'm growing older in age. I've, done everything I can for this franchise. I don't feel like the front office is putting the pieces around me to put me in a position to win legitimately win a championship. I would like to go somewhere else. Like, don't be shocked if that day comes. Then he also, I, the one caveat to that I would say is then he needs to do a better job of recruiting, which he has openly said that he doesn't necessarily feel as though it's his job to recruit other players to come. But if you're going to have a complaint that nobody's coming to play, but you're not doing a good job of asking them to come play with you. Hey, well, and by the way, like I not to say that Carmelo Anthony was like the hugest free agent signing, but I think that was a demonstration of, of both Dame and CJ. Yeah, they worked on him for like two years. They lobbied him pretty hard, right? And like yeah, and yeah. the other thing to to Olshay's credit, I do think and I mean all of this we could talk about for half an hour a piece, but like I think the calculation they made with Melo was okay, maybe he's not as good as he once was, but the impact of having a Hall of Fame player say, this is a good franchise, I want to be here, they treat you right. 
that matters. NBA players really respect Carmelo Anthony. They really, really do. And I think that the Blazers making that calculation to say, even if it maybe hurts us a little bit, sometimes we're playing 22 minutes a game when maybe you should be getting 12, that the impact that can have on your organization is potentially massive. Um, I'm not saying it's, it means that free agents are going to be knocking down the door to come to Portland, but in a market where it's hard to get somebody that could matter at some point. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I give no right. shake credit for that. Thro- throw us out on a high note. Somebody that was all just a depressing. How's the future going to look? Uh, the, high, segment. The, high, the high note, the high note, the high note is this game one, the Blazers won on the road by double digits and they didn't play their best. That's the high note, right? Like, we don't know how the series is going to end. The Blazers are probably not going to sweep, but that's the high note is that they could be better. So that's that's me. I don't know. What do you guys think? Evan, all you. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with what Brandon just said. Um, yeah, it just feels good to be up game one. Um, it You know, it puts Denver squarely behind the eight ball because – now there is no home court advantage. And I thought that we were going to get one in Denver, but like getting the first game, I think is crucial because again, like what, what can Denver do to force Portland's hand to play the way that Denver would prefer we would play given their roster construction currently with injuries. Um, I don't think that, I don't think Denver's in a good spot. Um, so yeah, that the high note is that I'm, I'm feeling good about our prospects of winning this series um, sooner rather than later as well. And for the detractors that are going to try to point out, well, the Blazers won Game One last year against the Lakers. Yeah, but oh, we come on, but God. but that, that was is also, totally different. <laughs> exactly, but I, I've seen it before, and it's just to Evan's point. What we saw last night from the Blazers was a lot, a lot more sustainable and repeatable necessarily than playing absolutely lights out balls to the wall to beat the Lakers in Game One and then run out of steam. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. so with that. Evan, we appreciate you. It was really good to see you actually getting to see you this time through yes. mm-hmm. video. And Batman, uh, who's Batman Live, now doing what I should be doing and taking a nap. Um, if On people, his frisbee, it, what a weirdo. How much, tequila, <laughs> how much tequila did he drink last night? He. So here's the thing. I was actually pretty good. I, I waited. I went on a bike ride before the game, went to Bufa's on Esplanade. It's like part of my route. I had a beer shot combo and then came back home and I didn't start drinking until the first end of the first quarters when I first took my first shot at home because I wanted to make sure I was lucid and paying attention to the game. And uh, it really worked. When the game was over, I started not <laughs> back for sure because uh, we had had to celebrate that had to celebrate that W. Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, a thousand percent. Um, OK, uh, Evan, if people wanted to connect with you, if they wanted to drink with you virtually, if they wanted to buy your stuff, Ooh. how could they how could they connect with you? Yes. So you can find me on Twitter and all my terrible takes where this random people just come at me all the time now. Um, Evan M PDX is E V A N E M PDX. And it's also Instagram. Don't use Instagram as much, but my website is Evan M.com and it's got all the prints. I'm working on a painting right now that I've been working on for a few months. And it's going to take me a few months to make. Um, it's not blazer related, but it is going to be the most impressive painting I've ever made. And I'm very excited for it. Um, it's just taking a long time. So keep an eye out for that. That's awesome. I actually saw you, you just recently sold your, um, large, uh, Zion Williamson kind of skybox retro, uh, uh painting. Yeah. That, that was dope. Shout out to Michael Zordon who just randomly hit me up on Twitter. I'm, I'm not sure who the gentleman is. Um, he's just a follower and, uh, he was interested and we made it happen. I went and shipped it this morning. So. 
That's awesome. Shout out to him for helping support, you know, supporting me and letting me be able to do this stuff. And nice. shout out to you, Evan, and shout out to the listeners for supporting us. I'm just going to do the outro in one take. If you want to reach out to our show, you can do it at welitetheblazers.com. You can also find us on Twitter at just like the Blazers. You can hit me up at GoldnerPDX. You can hit Ryan up at the Witty Ryan. Correct. Great. The Witty, the Witty Ryan. And uh, real, real quick, I have an answer. Three Survivor contestants have been on oh, uh, the please. challenge. Uh, there is uh, Jay Starrett, Natalie Anderson, and the uh, Turabai Kamirakin. Kamirakran. Uh, it's one of the guys where if you saw Wait, it, you recognize him. Uh, Turabai Kamirakran. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say, like, Boston Rob or Parvati or, like, one of these, yeah. like, super. Those are too big. Those are too big of gets. But yeah, the, that's the, the Natalie chick, didn't that Natalie chick win Survivor? Yes. And I think Jay was a finalist. All right. Uh, maybe, I, I like maybe I need to watch all 40 seasons of Survivor yet again. But that's it for the show. We appreciate all of you. Check us out. Check out Evan's work. Until next time, uh, go Blazers. Go Blazers.